Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. Throughout history, people have looked to the sky and have seen bizarre images flying above them. Some have claimed them to be angels, others demons, and still others who are unsure as to what they had seen. Today, we take a walk through the recent history and mystery of these flying creatures. Now Paratruth presents, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's the Flying Humanoid, with special guest, Ken Gearhart. Hello folks, welcome to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Glad that you can all tune in today. We have a very special episode for you. But first and foremost, Justin, my co-host, how are you this week? I am doing pretty fantastical. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine and dandy. I'm kind of excited about this episode today. I am too. It's an interesting collaboration of uh, different stories that he came across. Today, we will be speaking with special guest Ken Gerhard, who wrote the book Encounters with Flying Humanoids. Now, this book covers a number of different mysteries throughout history, or at least the recent history, about gargoyles, the Mothman, manbirds, and a number of other topics. Let's go to the phone line with Ken Gerhard. Hey, Ken, how are you? I'm doing terrific. Thanks so much for having me on. It's definitely an honor to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here on Paratruth Radio with us. Most definitely. Uh, you know, there's a lot to cover in your book. You, you you really did your research and came up with a lot of information on a number of different creatures. But before we go and get into the book itself, I'd like to just give you a moment here at the beginning of the show to tell people a little bit about yourself and perhaps where they can find you on social media and where they can pick up your book. Oh, well, thanks. Um, so I'm a cryptozoologist, which uh, is a fancy way of saying that uh, I search for evidence of enigmatic creatures, unidentified species, things like that. You know, romantically speaking, people... Uh, tend to be more focused on the uh, things like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, uh, the Chupacabra. Those are kind of the, the more popular ones that are known out there. But uh, in addition to that, you know, a cryptozoologist could go out and look for, you know, say a tree, a species of tree frog that was that's believed to be extinct. You know, it can't can be as mundane as that. <laughs> but typically, I do. I do focus on some of the more, you know, remarkable mysteries out there, the ones I discussed. Uh, I've been it for a number of years, and I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to travel all over the world and, and search for evidence of all of these enigmatic creatures. Well, a lot of the ones that uh, 
we come across a lot of times just doing research, doing the show, uh, is a lot of the ones that you talk about in the book. You talk about Mothman. You talk about the New Jersey Devil. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any of them that specifically stick out for you? Um, you know, in terms of, of, of what? Just, well, uh, uh, just the the research and what you found. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I should also make a clarification because cryptozoology sounds very scientific. It's really supposed to be. It was, uh, uh, it's a field that was kind of started by, uh, zoologist named Bernard Hugelmans back in the 1950s and 60s. And he always wanted it to follow a very scientific, rigorous kind of, uh, trajectory mm-hmm. and it's based upon the principles of, of zoology, traditional zoology as well as paleontology and, and you know so forth the fossil history but you know there's kind of a fringe area of cryptozoology that's evolved over the, uh, the years that deals with more of these really fabulous types of creatures like the mothman the jersey devil and so obviously what i'm trying to say is that you know from a biological perspective there's no way that you could have Something like the Mothman, it's, uh, right. it's a biological impossibility. The, the same with the Jersey Devil. The descriptions of the Jersey Devil, it, you know, it, it borrows different characteristics from diverse species. There's mm-hmm. kind of a, a, you know, a chimera, a mixture of things. But um, we do investigate them because there are uh, sort of bestial qualities to these creatures. And in some cases, we could be dealing with a misidentification of known species, creatures, animals. Uh, that people are basically misinterpreting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but obviously Mothman is, is the iconic figure. Um, you know, everyone is, uh, seems to be fascinated with the mystery when you, when you talk about descriptions of the creature, you know, six and a half feet tall, man-like body with these giant sort of, uh, bat-like wings, giant red glowing eyes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty nightmarish image, right? Something right. like out of a science right, yeah. fiction movie. And there's also a, a pretty complex backstory. Uh, you know, there's the, the tragedy of the bridge collapse, the Silver Bridge collapse, where 46 people drowned. Many people link that to Mothman's appearance. It was right around the same time period. Uh, there are allegations of a curse and uh, psychic uh, abilities and UFOs and, you know, just all these different elements that make it a pretty, pretty fascinating mystery. Hmm. Now, one of the well, one of the very many stories that we came across on the uh, in the book was titled Gotham's Original Batman. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit of information on that particular story? Yeah, uh, Gotham's Original Batman refers to a being that was first described in the books of, of John Keel. And John Keel, of course, was the author of the Mothman Prophecies, which is a very well-known book that was later made into a, uh, a movie with Richard Gere. And it, uh, it, it kind of described Keel's investigation into the Mothman while it was going on in the late 1960s. So subsequently, Keel wrote several books about Mothman, and he did dig up some, some older accounts of flying humanoid-type creatures. Um, and the Gotham City's original Batman is kind of my... Uh, sort of a way of describing it, but um, in 1877, and these are according to articles uh, that appeared in the New York Sun newspaper, uh, back in 1987, um, a gentleman named W.H. Smith penned a letter to the New York Sun describing this winged humanoid 
that he had seen flying over Brooklyn on September. And then about a year later, I'm sorry, three years later in uh, 1880, uh, there were a group of people that were apparently at Coney Island, New York, and when they claimed they saw this figure flying through the air at a height of about a thousand feet, and a very colorful description, a man with bat's wings and quote-unquote improved frog's legs. And uh, don't ask me how, but apparently they claimed that they could see the face of this creature <laughs> from about a thousand feet away and that it looked like uh, a man with a cruel and determined expression. Uh, so a very vivid uh description there and so he had these wings and he was kind of flying overhead and so that's kind of a um a flying humanoid account from the from the late 19th century in over new york which you know obviously has a you had a big population even back then so you wouldn't really expect mm-hmm. to see something like this uh in, in such an urban area um but you know there are many newspaper articles uh from the late 19th, early uh, 20th century that describe kind of fabulous creatures of all kinds, and I, I deal with this throughout my field. And you always have to be a little bit reserved in terms of looking at those articles, I think, because I always try to explain to people, I think newspapers back in that day and age, they were really more about selling large volumes of papers as opposed to telling, uh, you know, accurate uh, or reporting accurate news. So oftentimes, the writers of these newspapers were charged with kind of coming up with colorful stories that would get people's attention. So um, it is a good story. It could certainly, there could certainly be some grain of truth behind it. Um, but, you know, again, always always cautious when looking at some of those very, very old reports and accounts, particularly the ones from newspapers. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it kind of answered Eric's next question because yep. he was going to ask about <laughs> how could they see a man's face from a thousand feet up in the air. So yeah, it kind of kind of is odd that he was able to describe a face that was a thousand feet away. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, maybe people <laughs> had better better vision back in the seventies. Well, then you have to start wondering, you know, how much is it that they're really seeing, and how much is just their imagination? Uh, it, we we see stories left and right even today, where as time goes on, stories seem to change and become more and more descriptive than what they originally were. Um, and I don't know; it's just very interesting to me to think, you know, what really did happen at this point? You know, what did people really truly see? And is there any real true explanation behind it? Yeah, well, you know, you also have to consider the uh, the, the writer for the newspaper again may have taken an account and embellished it or, or sort right. of taken some license with it in terms of how he was going to present the information. Right. So you're, you're right, that it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, the, the larger point being that, you know, Mothman is very well known, of course, but there do seem to be accounts of flying humanoids that date back, you know, centuries and, you know, even thousands of years if you look at some, some mythologies around the world. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a... a something that's been with us a long time, you know, whether we can prove that it's, it's happening or not. Right. right. We do talk about it. Right. Well, you mentioned uh, b- the Batman a couple of times. There was one that showed up in Houston. There was one in New York. There's also accounts of gargoyles. Do you think this particular set of humanoids is connected somehow? Well, I, you know, I tried to, you know, in the concluding chapter, I tried to discern some patterns and it was very difficult really the only things that we could find were that 
there are accounts of UFOs that are often associated with these beings or creatures, uh, or at least, you know, in the same areas, same time periods and so forth. Mm-hmm. There is an underlying theme of, you know, the, the possibility that these beings might represent uh, harbingers or, or omens of, of cataclysmic events or death or, you know, serious illness and so forth. Uh, and essentially very negative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there, and there do seem to be certain locations. I mean, obviously the, the most notable one is, is Point Pleasant, you know, a little town in West Virginia where the Mothman has been seen so many times. Mm-hmm. England seems to have a number of these types of reports, as does, uh, do certain parts of the U.S., like California, Washington State, Texas. Um, so, I mean, there are certain areas where there seem to be a higher intensity of these reports, but, by and large, as a researcher, it's very frustrating because there is such a diverse number of these types of flying creatures that, you know, they don't seem to follow a fairly consistent pattern. Right. Now, in regards to some of these beings almost seeming to be dark by nature, one of the titles in the book is Nebraska's Demon-Winged Entity. Uh, I've noticed throughout history a lot of people... When, when they look up at the sky and they see something that they don't quite understand, there's usually three explanations. Either A, it's an angelic being, B, it's a demonic being, or C, they're uncertain as to what it is and just consider it a UFO. So what exactly was this demon-winged entity, according to the reports? Well, uh, this is, again, this is kind of a vague report that, that's kind of circulated in 40 circles for many years. Um, but there was a pseudonym. The gentleman's uh, account was published under the pseudonym John Hanks because mm-hmm. he, you know, apparently, as many people that have experienced these things, you know, certainly don't want to be ridiculed and, and don't want the negative publicity and so forth. So, uh, but according to this John Hanks uh, of Fall Cities, Nebraska, in 1956, uh, he was, uh, I believe, out on his farm working, and he claimed that this. A uh, nine-foot-tall non-human entity uh, kind of started hovering over him, and he, he could tell that the thing had these—it had wings, but to his eye, they were kind of metallic, fabricated wings, mm-hmm. fifteen-foot-long and aluminum shape, and multicolored lights running along the underside. And this thing had a pan, uh, control panel attached to his chest, again, according to the witness. And but you know again the most disturbing feature was uh, the creature's disturbing feature was the creature's face which Mr. Hanks described as demonic with large watery blue eyes and wrinkled skin um, and it made a hissing sound as the thing was flying overhead so it's, it's kind of a uh, an account that's been often linked with UFO uh, in the UFO literature and you know for understandable reasons we're talking about flashing lights and and control panels. You know, the only thing I can think of is in terms of the demonic is, you know, if if you imagine, you know, Nebraska in the 1950s, I imagine, you know, was still like a pretty conservative place, and uh, you're talking about the Bible Belt to some extent. So, uh, someone like that may may interpret uh, something as demonic as opposed to extraterrestrial. But you know, it's funny you brought that up because I often, when talking about things like the Mothman and some of these apparitions and beings, uh, I often point out that people will describe them as demonic, as interdimensional, and as extraterrestrial, and that essentially all three of those terms could essentially mean the same thing. It's just a matter of perspective. Right. Right. 
and belief system, you know. Okay. All right, folks, we are talking to Ken Gearhart uh, about his book, Encounters with the Flying Humanoids. We'll be back right after Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Did you know that in Mozambique, overhead power lines have to be at least 12 meters or 39 feet high? According to Factslides.com, the reason that these power lines must be so high is so that it will permit safe passage for giraffes that roam freely on the countryside. This was Eric's folks welcome back to paratruth radio my name is justin and i'm eric and we've been talking to ken gearhart about his book encounters with flying humanoids now ken before break we were talking about how demons extraterrestrials interdimensional creatures kind of are probably interchangeable and uh the one thing on our show is Eric comes from a Christian standpoint. I come from more of a secular view, even though I do consider myself Christian. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff, too, kind of plays on people's fears as well. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And would that be why people tend to misidentify and see these beings that may not necessarily be real? I think in some cases, I mean, um, fear is a very powerful emotion, obviously. It's, right. uh, one of the, more, probably, if not the most poor, uh, powerful because it's directly linked to our kind of survival instinct. You know, we're, we have fear for a reason, you know, for, our, to, to protect ourselves. Right. Um, you know, you know, you may be asking me, there's kind of a couple different ways to answer this. You, you might be asking me if there could be some type of psychological components. To, to some of these reports. That's and what I'm saying. You know, it's certainly not beyond reason. Um, you know, there's a theory that, that I, I talk about in the book that, you know, perhaps some of these creatures are not really flesh and blood, but they're kind of thought projections, um, you know, that, that in a way we're able to basically, that our fear becomes so powerful that it's able to take on a physical form and that these, these nightmares sort of manifest in our own realities. You know, it's kind of a pretty cosmic way of looking at things, but, uh, the fact that people that have encountered these flying humanoid creatures, for example, you know, they are often, you know, traumatized in the moment and, and for the rest of their lives after that. Mm-hmm. Um, the behavior of these flying humanoids often seems to be intimidation, chasing people and flying after people and, and popping up out of the darkness suddenly and, you know, it's, it's, it seems to be, but yet there, there are no accounts of them actually capturing anybody or or harming anybody. So, right. you know, um, so yeah, it's almost as if they they have kind of a spectral form, but in some ways, kind of a physical presence as well. At least you know that's the way that people perceive them. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I can think of a number of times growing up where you know I'd have to go into the basement alone, and it's dark, and I have to get to the light switch. But, you know, as you go down the stairs, your fear starts playing in and suddenly you think you see something move out the corner of your eye when really nothing even, you know, nothing moved whatsoever. And 
I, I think it's amazing because there's a lot of stories that I've heard. I think Justin's probably heard too, especially being within this community uh, in regards to paranormal research, where people will study something. And because mm-hmm. I often use the werewolf as an example on this show, you know, people will study the werewolf all about it, you know, the human aspect, the animal aspect, you know, what's real, what's not. And they claim suddenly after so many days, weeks, months of research that they start seeing these creatures within the woods that they drive by on a daily basis or that the creatures in their backyard or this or that. And then you begin to question, you know, is it truly, you know, one, is it truly a physical animal, which, you know, personally, I'm thinking most likely not. Um, is it a spiritual being? Is something picking up on the other side and starting to imitate this imagery uh, to scare these people? Or as you, you know, we had just talked about, is it something that's all mental? Is it fear? Uh, people perhaps giving into that fear and just, like you said, projecting it themselves. And I think in the end, it's really hard to discern and determine what the answer is there. Because I think a lot of people, even if it is mental, they're always going to believe that what they saw was real. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, uh, there is uh, the, the common denominator that can be related to all of these encounters is uh, the observers. You know, there always has mm-hmm. to be someone there to observe and experience the phenomenon first and foremost in order for it to have taken place. But you know, there's there's kind of a two ways to look at it. If we're if we're going to eliminate the flesh and blood possibility, and I'm kind of with you there. Then yes, a it could be something that we project that you know either you know we we create these and you know the dark recesses of our mind and again project them into our reality, or the other alternative is that there are other intelligences at work, mm-hmm. and you know whether you want to characterize that those again as extraterrestrial, ultraterrestrial, interdimensional, you know that that, that these other intelligences are essentially using energy to to manifest into these different types of spectral forms in front of us. And, you know, the reasons they would be doing this are probably far beyond our comprehension as humans to understand why this is going on. But, uh, you know, there are many researchers, uh, you know, again, including John Keel, who I mentioned, who felt that uh, UFOs and poltergeists and Bigfoot and, you know, all those different things that we investigate in this phenomenon were all basically the same different variations of the same thing mm-hmm. it was just energy that was that was manifesting you know in different ways that were maybe specific to the observer to things that that would you know uh, affect a certain type of emotion or response mm-hmm. now when we were talking a little bit about you had said uh the, the misidentification of creatures when people are seeing these things have you been able to uh Identify animals, or, or maybe even just, uh, I don't know, maybe kites in the air. Anything that would lead you to believe that these things were just misidentified? Um, no, not really from my perspective. Although there are other people that feel strongly that the Mothman, for example, one of the strong. One of the um, more prominent skeptical arguments about Mothman was that Mothman was in reality an owl, and oh, okay. that people were seeing were seeing a very large owl, and were simply their imaginations were taking over. And you know, it's true. I've, I've anyone that's driven down a dark road at night and suddenly a big owl takes off in front of you, it, it kind of startles you. You know, there's yeah. big impressive birds, and they're you're out in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly this thing kind of 
flaps its wings and takes off. Um, but, you know, the largest owls are only about, you know, maybe two and a half, three feet tall with a five-foot wingspan. Compare that to a six-and-a-half-foot, seven-and-a-half-foot height and a, you know, 10, 15-foot wingspan that are reported by the eyewitnesses. And I just don't think, unless there's some type of super-sized owl out there that has been undiscovered by science. And, and one of my colleagues, Mark Hall, actually has... has uh, Suggested that that there could be this enormous man-sized owl out there. He calls it Big Hoot, which is kind of a Bigfoot thing. But I, I I haven't heard of, of very many accounts of, of man-sized owls, but right. um, you know. So, but you know, certainly in some cases, I think that may have happened. Particularly when Mothman was first in the news down in Point Pleasant, and then you, you know, in some respects, you have kind of a a, a case of mass hysteria going on in that community. And then at that point, when the accounts are really flooding in, maybe there were some people that had seen simply startled by owls and then their imaginations took over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the initial accounts and descriptions, you know, no way. Right. It was definitely, it was definitely something that was not an animal. It was some, some type of specter, phantom apparition entity, whatever you want to call right. it. Well, and speaking of the owl, uh, there is a story about what I believe was called the Owl Man. Which, mm-hmm. which I, I, you know, going along with this, could have very well been a mistaken identity. But what is it about that story that you think might, I guess, help discern that this owl man was actually some sort of cryptid creature as opposed to just a normal everyday owl? Well, um, one of the problems with Owl Man, and it's a great story, Owl Man is sort of like the uh, British version of Mothman. Okay. Uh, most of the sightings took place in 1976 during the summer of 76 um, in a place uh, in the forest surrounding Mount Ann Church which is an old church uh, on an ancient earthwork uh, in Cornwall, England right above Falmouth Bay all of the sightings of the Mothman were, or sorry, of the Owlman were, were made by adolescents uh, initially two teenage girls uh, June and Vicki Melling claimed that they saw a thing hovering over the church and then I believe a few months later, there were two other young girls that were camping. Sally Chapman and Barbara Perry, you know, two 14 year olds were out camping near the church and they claimed that they saw it around 10 o'clock. Now they had the really vi- very vivid description mm-hmm. and they described this thing as, as basically a, a monster, human-like body, head and face were kind of unnatural with this gaping black mouth, no beak, very large eyes, pointy ears. Uh, they said that when they initially saw it, this is kind of an interesting, uh, the, when they first saw this thing, they thought it was a costume. And okay. then, you know, because it looked kind of, it didn't look natural to them. But then it took off straight off of the ground and shot into the air, um, to unfold its wings. And at that point, there, you know, it occurred to them that, you know, there's, there's no way someone could have taken that, you know, because it, it was just, its movements at that point became natural, you know, the way that it mm-hmm. took off and, and flew away. So, you know, there's certainly, you know, yeah, it's been suggested that maybe these, these young people all get startled by an owl. Uh, I think there were a handful of other eyewitnesses. A young man named Gavin was the last one to see it uh, during 1988 or 1989. But, you know, you have to, you know, basically go on the interpretation of the eyewitness. And, in, you know, although in some cases people do misidentify known animal species, you know, in, in other cases people do get a, a rather prolonged 
view of these creatures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, particularly where you have corroborating witnesses or multiple witnesses together, you know, it's, it's, it's harder for me to accept that, that all of those can be written off as misidentifications. Right. Well, it's it's hard to believe any of these creatures. I mean, because in in mine and Eric's opinion, uh, Bigfoot, even though there have been numerous sightings, it, to us, it doesn't seem like a physical creature at all. A lot of times, you know, the the pictures are blurry, almost as if it's not even in in this world, so to speak. Even with with the the Mothman, the the Batman. Owl man, there, there's never really any definitive pictures. It's just kind of mm-hmm. something just is hanging on to like the bridge where the Mothman was seen and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's no, there's absolutely no physical evidence that would back up any of these claims of these flying humanoid creatures. It's, you know, it's frustrating to admit that the, the vast majority, uh, virtually all evidence in the field of cryptozoology and, and Freudian zoology is circumstantial, anecdotal. You know, eyewitness accounts, legends, uh, things like that. Obviously, if we had a <laughs> a Mothman feather or something like that, we might be able to, to put the matter to rest. But uh, right. I, I think that you know that's uh, you know that's across the board. But again, I you know I think with these particular creatures, these flying humanoids. Uh, as a cryptozoologist, I view this particular phenomenon as being more of a supernatural or a paranormal type of event mm-hmm. as opposed to anything having to do with the natural world. All right. <clears throat> now, folks, we're going to take just one more break here. You are listening to Paratruth Radio. Stay tuned, and we will be back shortly. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Hey, Parafans. Justin here with your paranormal headlines. These are headlines from unexplainedmysteries.com. New report predicts world collapse by 2040. Scientists have predicted that a cataclysmic series of events could occur within the next 30 years. In a new report released by Lloyds this week, the Anglia Ruskin University's Global Sustainability Institute has outlined its prediction of a global collapse brought about by flood and water shortages, energy loss, and a period of prolonged political instability. Supported by both the UK and US governments, the report was commissioned for the purpose of assessing the risks associated with flood shortages and other issues over the next few decades. Global demand for food is one of the rise driven by unprecedented growth in the world's population, which is expected to surpass 9 billion by 2050, the report authors wrote. To meet the increased demand for food driven by these factors, The FAO projects that we must more than double global agricultural production by 2050. The report also predicted an increase in the intensify and frequency of extreme weather events, such as floods, droughts, and wildfires due to climate change. This is further exacerbated by the growing issue of water scarcity, which is accelerating at such a pace that two-thirds of the world's population could live under water stress conditions by 2025. 
Volatile food prices and increasing political instability are likely to magnify the impacts of food production shocks, causing a cascade of economic, social, and political impacts across the globe. Nukes could be used to deflect asteroids. NASA is looking into the possibility of using nuclear weapons to defend Earth against asteroid impacts. The world's deadliest weapons of mass destruction could one day be used to save the planet. That is, at least, according to a new deal between NASA and the National Nuclear Security Administration, a branch of the government responsible for enhancing national security through nuclear science. It's a big step forward, said nuclear security senior official Kevin Greenstaw. Whenever you have multiple agencies coming together for the common defense, that's news. The partnership will help cement efforts to determine if nuclear weapons could prove to be an effective way to deal with an incoming asteroid, an idea reminiscent of the movie Armageddon. Scientists had previously proposed using a nuclear bomb to blow up an asteroid. However, the remaining fragments could together prove just as destructive as the original space rock. A better solution, therefore, would be to use the nuke to deflect rather than to destroy the object. It's more complex than most people realize, said Dr. Bruce Betts. Ideally, we won't have to use it, but we should talk about it and understand it before having to make the hard decisions. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Welcome back, folks, to Paratruth Radio. We are speaking with Ken Gerhard, who wrote the book Encounters with Flying Humanoids. Now, Ken, before we went to break, we were talking about <clears throat> basically how there's a complete lack of evidence to support the creatures in your book, or any cryptid for that matter. Which brings me to a, not necessarily an interesting question, but it is a question regardless. Why do you think people find cryptids so interesting? And do you think it's more so that they're gullible uh, when it comes to these stories, or that people just want to believe in something that just seems so far-fetched and out there that they'll do anything to uh, either try to push the story and prove it to be real, or I mean, I don't even know where I'm really going with this, but I mean, <laughs> it just seems like since there's no evidence, people would just kind of back off of it and let it go. I'm like, okay, it doesn't exist. That's that. And yet we got people like Bigfoot hunters who are out every single day. You know, they got TV shows about it. We have all kinds of cryptid shows on about uh, like monster hunters, for example. I mean, what's the deal? Do you think? 
Well, undoubtedly, um, there is uh, something to be said for the fact that, you know, we need, we need our monsters. They mm-hmm. present a level of, or a degree of, of adventure and mystery in our world that, you know, in life that would otherwise be quite mundane and boring, I think, for a lot of people if we even have those <laughs> types of things. Uh, it's the same type of reason that we like to go to scary movies and haunted houses and things. We like to be scared. We like to be thrilled and so forth. But, you know, that being said, you know, as, as, as far as, you know, the reality, the potential reality of some of these creatures, you know, albeit remote in some cases, um, I always argue with uh, kind of a three-point, I have a three-point argument that I pr- present in terms of cryptozoology. And, and those three points are, one, the world is far less explored than you like to think it is. I've traveled all over the world to 26 countries. I've been to Africa, Australia, South America, and Amazon. You name it. Uh, you know, and you know, in the cell phone age, communications and technology are pretty amazing at this point. But that doesn't lessen the fact that half of the Earth's land surface is still remote wilderness area that's completely uninhabited. So there are places in the world for things to hide and to be discovered. Um, the second argument is that the new animals are being discovered on a regular basis still. Mm-hmm. Uh, one recent study by Harvard scientists estimated that 1.8 million species have yet to been discovered on planet Earth. And although most of those, 95%, are invertebrates, insects, mollusks, we still discover some pretty remarkable large animals on a regular basis every year, uh, every few years. Um, and then the last argument is that, you know, you have uh, pretty much a mountain of anecdotal evidence. Again, you have, you know, in the case of Bigfoot, for example, three to 4,000 well-documented sightings uh, by credible people from all walks of life, legends that date back centuries, and again, all of these descriptions and legends with almost identical physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. And then moreover, you have in the fossil history, you know, in, in terms of Bigfoot, you have things that live, that we know from fossils that lived hundreds of thousands of years ago that look just like Bigfoot. Right. So when you put all that together, I mean, that builds, at least in terms, in terms of that one particular cryptid, a pretty compelling case. So I think you've got to look at things like Bigfoot, lake monsters and sea serpents, um, black panthers, Thunderbird thylacines, there are a lot of these cryptids that actually have, a per, I think, a pretty strong probability of existing. But then when you start getting into the, the wilder things like, you know, flying humanoids, werewolves, and mermaids, now now you're dealing with something that doesn't really have a lot of scientific viability, so you have to look at other alternative possibilities, and most of those are going to be more supernatural in nature. Okay. All right. Well, one of the last questions I had was you just mentioned that we live in the digital age. I mean, any type of information you can think of, you can find with a click of, of, of a button. And um, do you think that with a lot of these creatures, specifically the flying humanoids in this book, do you think that a lot of these creatures uh, are appearing in different areas of the world because of that or just because it dates back prior to to the digital age? Well, um, probably both. I mean, you know, there's, there are, like I, like I said earlier, if you go back, you can go back to the ancient Sumerians, and, you know, they had uh, some of the first flying humanoid creatures were depicted in their artwork. They were known as the Apkala or the Abgal. So you're talking about thousands of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so you have this, 
And, you know, you have all of these diverse mythologies and folklores around the world that have similar flying humanoid references. So those go back centuries and thousands of years. So it's a notion that's always kind of been with us. But, you know, certainly in this day and age, I think the fact that you have the Internet and all of these websites dedicated to the subject matter, I don't put as much stock in some of the accounts that I see that are posted on different websites and stuff because it's pretty easy for someone to hide behind the safety of their computer keyboard and say, oh, I saw the Mothman in my backyard yesterday, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Back in the 1970s and 80s and, and so forth, I thought, I think a lot of those reports where people actually went to the police, went to the newspaper, and basically went out, stuck their neck out, you know, and, and you know, those, those, to me, those are very convincing reports. Because right, why yeah. would someone, unless they were completely insane, why would they, you know, go out in the public and tell people that they had seen something like that? Yeah. But sure enough, that's what people in, in the 60s and 70s, many people in, in terms of the Mothman were doing, calling the police, filing a report, going to newspapers, putting their face on, on the newspaper, you know, newspaper article and saying, I saw this thing. I don't care what anybody says. Mm-hmm. So to me, those are, are very convincing. But, you know, a lot of the modern reports, and, and there's honestly a lot of websites out there now that I think are just trying to have, create good traffic. So they have the kind of these, these paranormal stories that they post anonymously with no name and no real information. So yeah. I, I try to avoid those. All right. Well, I've got one last question as well here. Either of you, Ken or Justin, have you ever seen a TV show known as Falling Skies? I've seen the commercials, but You've no, seen the commercials. seen the actual show. Okay. No, I've heard about it. I've not seen it, no. Okay. So... On this show, this is in regards to how media uh, seems to influence people's minds at, in times. On this show, there's an alien being known as the fish head. And when I was looking in your book, it, towards the back, there's a story about a, a a being that Frank Ramirez saw, and he drew a re- an artistic rendering of it. And it amazed me at how similar it kind of appeared to this being on the television show. And I'm just wondering, well, first and foremost, can you tell us a little bit about that story? And is this something that that he believes he saw was just physical, or was this something that was, you know, a dream or something that he saw, or, you know, what, what, what it surrounds this whole story, basically? That's a, that's a good case talk for me to talk about, because I've had the opportunity to get to know Frank pretty well. Okay. He lived here in San Antonio. He got in touch with me. Actually, I saw him on a TV uh, news report talking about his uh, his sighting, and we we hooked up. And I've interviewed him many times. And you know, he strikes me as an extremely sincere, incredible person who's had a remarkable experience that they just can't explain. And according to Frank, uh, when he was a young man back in the late 1990s, 1998 to be exact, he was living at his mother's house still, and she was living in a kind of a rough area of San Antonio and one night he heard a noise in the backyard and went out to investigate thinking it might be a burglar or something and he claims that this being was basically perched on the roof of his uh, his mother's garage and it unfurled enormous wings and rose up and it was just light enough outside because of a full moon and, and some lighting in the security lighting he was able to see this thing's face and yes it was kind of stretched down into a long elongated shape, mm-hmm. it did appear, you know, roughly humanoid and uh, 
he said the thing was, you know, the blackest black that you can imagine. And he was terrified and uh, took off running. And, you know, ultimately he collapsed down the street and was found by some friends. But this has had a very profound effect on his life. He's tried to deal with it by drawing and painting what he thinks he saw. Now, Frank has some interesting theories. He believes that that this thing that he saw is, you know, he, he refers to it as one of the watchers. So I guess he kind of views these things as sentient beings that are from another planet, reality, plane of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thinks that many of them live under the ground, that they come from the inner earth, and that, you know, that they essentially have been with us, you know, for you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. Now, beyond that, I, I'm not sure that he or anyone else can, you know, be, even begin to speculate what their real true intentions are, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess they are primarily, as he said, kind of kind of observers and, and perhaps in some ways meant to, to interact with us, to guide us, uh, or, you know, sometimes to terrify us, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's so, there's so many theories, and, um, you know, I tend to be a little bit more, despite the fact that the book seems kind of fabulous and colorful, I tend to be a pretty conservative in my view. I am kind of a show-me guy, and I, I did the book because no one had really done a global uh, perspective of the flying humanoid phenomenon. I mean, there had been some books about Mothman, but I found that there were other accounts around the world, yeah. and I really wanted to, to kind of put them all into the spotlight and, uh, you know, leave it up to the uh, to the reader, you know, this is a chance for people to read the book and, and use their critical thinking skills to kind of make their own determinations because it's a pretty far out subject. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, we are getting close to the end, so I did want to give you a chance again to tell everybody where they can find you, find your book, all that good stuff. Oh, well, thanks so much. I, I forgot to do that at the outset. Um, <laughs> so. I have a website. It's KenGerhard.com. It's K-E-N-G-E-R-H-A-R-D. People can log on there and uh, get, in, get in touch with me through the website, and there's also a link to buy my books. Uh, I also have a Facebook fan page, Ken Gerhard Cryptozoologist. Uh, I post a lot of articles and photos and uh, different things on there. As far as my book, uh, Encounters with Flying Humanoids, Mothman, Manbird, Gargoyles, and Other Winged Beasts, it's available online at the usual places, Amazon, dot com, barnesandnoble dot com. It's also available uh, in physical form at uh, uh, Barnes and Noble locations. If people are, have one in their neighborhood, they can pick it up there. All right. Well, Ken, I'd just like to thank you again for joining us here today. It's been an honor talking with you, and it's definitely been a very interesting conversation. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, good questions. Definitely had a good time, and. Uh, Hopefully we can do it again real soon. I look forward to it. Indeed. (laughs) All All right. right. Have a good night, Ken. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Ken Gearhart, author of Encounters with Flying Humanoids. And a lot of times you come across people that kind of just laid out their... Ken is one of those people, just like a lot of our guests are. He brings to the table his perspective of what these things are. And it's, I'm glad he brought up the fact that these things could be, even though he, he kind of said a couple different things, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, 
demons or angels, whatever you would like to call them. But he had given a perspective of maybe there is something more to these things other than just a physical form. Right. And, you, and you know, the one thing that I have mentioned on this show probably a couple of times, especially back when we were talking about aliens at the beginning uh, of this show this year, was that the term extraterrestrial basically means not of this world. God is not of this world. Angels, demons technically are not of this world. They're spiritual beings. Originally, you know, the demons originally came from heaven. Of course, they're here on earth now, but they're in another dimension. They work through another dimension, and sometimes they do come to us, you know, on the earthly plane. But it's interesting because, in a sense, you know, spiritual beings, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, whatever, they really do all relate to a sense, you know? And it just depends on what exactly your perspective is on those things. You know, a lot of people I know think extraterrestrial and they say, oh, aliens, you know, little green Martians with big black eyes or, you know, however you want to describe an alien. Right. You know, and, and usually when I use the word extraterrestrial, I think the exact same thing. No question about it. That's because that's what uh, that term has come to represent these days. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, spiritual beings, you look at God, you look at the word extraterrestrial as a whole, as to what it actual actually means, you know, it, it really does... You know, to just mean out of this world. So there are similarities, there are differences, and it is interesting. You know, we, we don't really know what these flying creatures are, if anything. You know, we mentioned it could just simply all be in our minds. And, and there's good reason for that. And I think a lot of us, I, I in particular, will admit that I have seen things that I'm pretty confident was not spiritual, was not physical, but was in my mind. And that just comes to basically a number of things. It would be a fear factor. It could be uh, just your imagination is you're focused on one particular thing, I guess, if you will, in your imagination. It could be a number of things. but Yeah, well, and I think we've, we, we preach a lot that the fear factor is a huge manipulation on, on people's perceptions. So right. they can be seeing... As we were talking to Ken about, we they can be seeing a real creature such as an owl, a bird, a bat, but it startles them. They look to see what it is, and they see something completely different because their their fear factor is up. So, right, I think that's all we have for you guys for the actual descriptive part of the show. So, I think it it's mm-hmm. time for Stop. have a time. Or it could be time for scripture time. I'm not sure. <laughs> Hammer time, scripture time. Hey, well, first and foremost, I actually have a piece of scripture here in regards to tonight's show, and there's been a number of controversy surrounding this piece of scripture. Some people claim that this uh, particular person in the Bible was witnessing what people today consider extraterrestrial or aliens, while Christians see this as clearly being angelic beings mm-hmm. uh, is being God. So I'm going to go ahead and just read Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 4 through 9 and then also just bits and pieces of 10, 11, and 12, not the whole thing. And this is what it says. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud with, range, with raging fire engulfed itself and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its mist 
like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also, from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. Then I'm going to just quicker summarize 10, 11, and 12, and it says, Each had the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. So here we can clearly see what appears to be and is clearly described as a humanoid-like creature. As it clearly says, the likeness of a man. And we see a number of different faces on these creatures. The, the fact that each one had four faces is pretty creepy in and of itself. Doesn't that yeah. represent a, a type of angel, though? This this is regarding a type of angel. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm actually, I'll go ahead and get into this a little bit. I'm not going to go too far into it. But, yeah, these particular creatures were a type of angel that would basically, kind of like a chariot, God would ride a chariot, you know, from heaven. That's what the... the prophets and the writers, you know, the authors of these books would describe God coming down in a chariot. And this chariot would be made up of these particular creatures, these angels. And that's what I personally believe they were. Straight up, no questions asked. However, there are people, both Christian and non-Christian, who claim that this is actually a alien being and these are machines of some sort. And they claim that these wings are actually helicopter propellers and that these feet and these legs are actually the, uh, what is it, the rails that the helicopter would sit down on oh. and, and you know, stuff like that. And, that, you know, the fact that it was the color was of burnished bronze, it's saying that it was literally metal. But it's important to note what the scripture is saying here because obviously if Ezekiel saw that this being was indeed metal he would say it was metal but instead he said they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze he's not saying they were bronze but they were like bronze and you actually see the same thing in scripture that I think it's I believe it's Isaiah I'm sorry I did not look ahead on this one where he says that describing God that he looks as if he has brownish legs and arms, uh, bronze legs and arms. And that's not saying that, you know, God is made of metal. It's just the color in which he radiates, you know, because God is light and he radiates light. And we talk about his throne room and how everything, you know, the, the throne looks like glass and the floor is glass and looks like rainbows and this and that. And there's so much light and light and light and light and light and a lot of light. I'm emphasizing the word light for a reason. <laughs> what reason? God is made of light. Oh, God, God, God. <laughs> he is the light of the universe. Um, and in fact, it, when you look into a number of different histories and theology, uh, Jesus Christ has even been known, per se, as the sun god, which is, of course, the biggest star in our solar system, the brightest star in our solar system that gives light to everything. Right. 
But yeah, so I just wanted to go ahead and give that little passage. That's Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 12. And of course, this whole particular chapter uh, talks about this, and that's verses 1 through 20, 28. And it's just simply titled Ezekiel's Vision of God. So you can go ahead and check that out yourself, read the whole thing. Uh, if you have any questions or if you have a personal view as to what this passage is telling you, Feel free to email us at paratruthradio at gmail.com. I would love to interact with you guys. Uh, just get, get your, your views. Get, you know, try to understand why you think what you think and just discuss it a little bit, you know. By the way, that came from the New King James Version. I wanted to state that because I know a lot of people have issues with certain versions. Yeah. Yeah. And interpretations of versions, which I've been hearing more and more lately. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Anyway, so that there's a number of passages within Scripture that talk about angels coming from the sky and seeing creatures in the sky and so on and so forth. But these in particular are the ones I decided to go with. Uh, you know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about locusts flying and that these locusts are pretty, pretty creepy looking locusts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. But this is the one I thought was most popular, I think, when it comes down to it. And it, it goes hand in hand with our... With our show today, with our episode. It does. So, on another note, turning away from this particular topic uh, of this episode, there, there's something that came to my attention this past weekend, or I should say last weekend because it's Sunday. Last weekend, my cousin, that is my co-host Justin here, decided to post our episode entitled Chupacabra, the Vampiric Beast, into a number of different groups on Facebook. And that's one thing that you do as a radio show. When you want to get the name out there, you want people to tune in and listen, and you just want to share you know, the, the work that you're doing, the creativity that we, I believe that we do, mm-hmm. you know, on a, on a weekly basis, uh, basis, the art, it is an art. You want people to hear it. You want people to tune in and listen. And... One of the groups that Justin decided to post to was, and that we often post to are Christian groups. We like to target Christians and non-Christians and just everyone as a whole. Everyone's invited to listen, you know? Yeah. Not everyone has to agree. That's why we have this Christian view versus a, uh, worldly view, you know, if you will, or, or a, uh, secular view. Yeah, I was trying to reframe from the word secular because not everyone likes that word. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a mainstream, mainstream view. There it is. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, there was one group in particular. I'm not going to mention the group. I'm not going to mention the individuals either. But Justin posted this episode in there titled Chupacabra, the Vampiric Beast. This is a Christian group, and it kind of offended me the way that they responded because I, being a Christian, expect my Christian brothers and sisters to react much differently than they did. Instead of simply doing the research learning about the show, maybe even listening to a little bit to see what it's truly about, they lashed out at Justin. They told him that this episode was not Christian and that this show is not Christian. Okay? You have that belief, that's fine. I understand that. But then Justin decided to go ahead and, you know, tell them a little bit about the show, that it is a mainstream worldview versus a Christian worldview. You know, they, we have two opposing views. There, it is a Christian show. It can also be considered non-Christian. It depends on how you look at it. It's your perspective. 
but then they continued on to say, anything with the word vampire is not of Christ, and we are not going to listen to this satanic, I'm just going to say garbage because I don't remember the exact word they used, but they called the show satanic and in a sense called us satanic, Yeah, you know? The satanic nonsense. And anyone uh, who listens to the show, if you're just tuning in today, you may have noticed that we didn't get into, you know, we're not trying to tell people, oh, you know, come to the dark side or anything like that. And for people who've been listening for a long time, I think it's very clear that we are not a satanic show. And yes, we talk about Satan. Yes, we talk about demons. We talk about dark things. But there's a reason for that. And it comes from my Christian perspective to show people the truth. That's why we are called Paratruth Radio, to prove what is true and what isn't true about the paranormal and to show people the light. And it just offended me that these people, these individuals, not the whole group as a whole, but individuals within this group lashed out at Justin and then threatened to not only delete the show but then kick him out of the group as well same thing happened to a friend of ours and I'm not going to get into the full story on that but again she posted something into a Christian group and they lashed out at her and again regardless of what is true and what isn't true they handled it wrong and asked her to renounce what she believed was God's calling. Again, whether or not it's truly God's calling or not, I am not at liberty to say. But then threatened to kick her out of that group as well. Something very serious. Now, yes, it's only been two incidents. But the reason I want to speak about it now, to in particular to my Christian brothers and sisters out there, is because what and how they reacted is not biblical by any means. John 7.24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This in particular is regarding our show. Now, I'm not going to sit here and defend uh, our friend, and I'm not going to sit here and defend us per se to say like, hey, you know, these people are completely wrong. Obviously, to each, the, to each his own, you're welcome to have an opinion. But if you do have an issue with our show, and, you know, you don't like it. You know, you, you, you're concerned that it's not quite the uh, the Christian type of radio network that you would like to listen to. Then ask us, like, why, why exactly is this Christian? And this is the issue I have with it. And if you don't like it and you don't want to listen to it based on a title, all you simply have to say is, I'm sorry, I don't want to listen to anything with the word vampire in it because it scares me. And I feel that God is asking me not to listen so that I do not fill my head with things that, you know, just aren't good for my personal relationship with him, with God. And it's completely okay. I understand that 100%. Not everyone can handle listening to the paranormal aspect of things. You know, not everyone can handle the demonic conversation, you know, conversations about demons. Not everyone can handle it. Is it something that every single Christian needs to hear at some point? Absolutely. It is something that has to be studied at some point, several times throughout the life of a Christian. With that said, in regards to how these people reacted, Matthew 7, 3, 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is people. This is in regards to people who just aren't seeing clearly. They're not seeing things clearly. They're slightly blinded by the information they're receiving. You know, and, and it goes into other, other aspects. You know, if one person is trying to, if one Christian is trying to help another Christian in regards to a sin that they're committing and they want to like bring it up to them. You got to make sure that you yourself are also free from that sin before you go and communicate with them. Because otherwise you're just a hypocrite. You're telling them to stop something that you yourself are guilty of. Matthew 15, 16 to 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The fact is that this past weekend, the way that Justin was treated, the way that our friend was treated, they were made a spectacle in front of a group of people. This is social media. Hundreds of people are in these groups and they're bashing Justin and our friend. No, that is wrong as a Christian. That is not something you should be doing. If you have an issue, private message us. Talk to us first. Get the information you need. If you still don't see things clearly, then you take the next step. If that's bringing in two or three other people that you think are more spiritually equipped than me or any of my friends that are Christians, then do so, and we'll discuss it. We'll go from there. It's just very important that you don't go out of your way to bash your brothers and your sisters in Christ in front of a group of people. It's wrong. It's against Christ. That's not what Jesus did. Even two more. coming from... Yeah, go ahead. From... You know the people that are 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 non-Christian listeners. This applies to anybody who listens to the show. Yes, I completely want to hear your guys' point of view, and if you don't agree, that's great. But don't sit there and make comments like nonsense, religious gobbledygook, and that's cleaning it up. Um, but <laughs> you know, it, regardless of what your beliefs are. Look at yourself as a human being, and if you think you would want to be treated the way that you're treating other people or this show, then we can we can acknowledge that, and people will treat you back the same way. But there is another option. Hit the stop button. If you don't like what we're saying, you don't have to listen. Right. You know, there is scripture that says, treat others as you wish to be treated. Simple as that. I do have two more scriptures here that I do want to just mention real quick. Titus three ten to eleven. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self condemned. There is not to be division, people. No division amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. If there is an issue, work it out. If that division continues, and you cannot agree. After numerous times of trying, then obviously we have to go our separate ways. That's fine. But there are no hurtful words that need to be said in between. Finally, 
this is what it, I'm summing it all up to this right here. Galatians 6, 1, brothers, and I'm going to go ahead and say sisters as well, depending on the translation. If anyone is caught in any transgression that is sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted to. It all comes down to this, folks. If you're going to question me and my cousin, and by the way, if you're questioning my cousin based on this radio show, you're questioning me because, yes, I have the Christian perspective. I talk Everything I talk about is based off Christian belief, Christian worldviews. Uh, everything is biblical that I talk about, or at least I bring the Bible into it. And it's important to have a spirit of gentleness because if you're gentle and you're kind towards one another and you're willing to discuss these things with a gentle heart, I guarantee that people are going to see each other more clearly. We'll be able to understand each other's beliefs and you know what we've learned through the scripture, through God, through our pastors, through our teachers. Because obviously not every church is the same. I know there's Christian churches out there teaching things that are just way beyond what the Bible tells, things that should not be taught. And yet we have to come to an understanding that regardless of what they're being taught, we have to discern whether or not these people truly are saved by the blood of Christ. What is their foundation? What do they truly believe? Now, of course, anything else, anything that may be considered sin, anything that may be considered uh, unchristlike, that takes you to a different level. That's something that has to be handled one-on-one to begin with. Then again, stepping up from there, two, three people, so on and so forth. But anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to go ahead and, you know, bring this up tonight. I know that not everyone listening was really interested in hearing what I had to say. Um, <laughs> I know I was you, interested in hearing. Thank you. You complete me. Oh. <laughs> 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 I know not everyone was willing to hear what I just said. I know some of you tuned me out. Uh, not everyone who tunes into the show is Christian. I understand that. You know, I said what I said. You have to take it or leave it. That's completely up to you. God created us all with a free will to choose for ourselves uh, what is true and to choose him. But for those of you who are Christian, for those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is specific for you. Just to be wary, you know, to be discerning, to be careful, to be vigilant. Because you may slip up. The devil is out to to steal, to destroy, to kill. He's, he's the liar, the king of lies. He's going to do anything and everything to turn Christians on other Christians, to create division, because he knows that when there's division amongst the saints, amongst the children of God, there's weakness. And when there's weakness, there's infiltration. And when he gets there, he has power over us to an extent. So this is just something, just a warning that I'm putting out there. That's why I had to come up here today and uh, just put this out on the line, you know, talk about it a little bit. But I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to go and, you know, anywhere else with this. So I'm just going to leave it right there. All right, folks, on that note, uh, we do have some quick announcements for you guys. Uh, once again, as we said last week, Paratruth Radio will be at Scarefest 2015 this year. Yeah! 
<laughs> I didn't even know you had that. <laughs> on the, <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on, let me compose myself. Um, we will be wearing our par- new Paratruth Radio t-shirts with the the new logo, as Eric said last week. We are working on a new, more oh, clean-cut logo, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will be wearing those so you can identify us as if our beautiful faces is not enough to identify us. <clears throat> humility, humility. Oh, right, sorry. Satan did fall of pride. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's true. It is. It's true. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, come find us. Uh, we are talking about doing a live show there so that mm-hmm. you guys can find us. And uh, just to get kind of the the word out, too, for you guys that aren't able to be there, what exactly you're going to be missing out on. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Scarefest, you know, that's the hit or miss when it comes to uh, the Christians out there, probably not the best place for Christians to be. I'll be honest. Uh, basically, the reason for that being due to the merchandise which is sold there oh. are the vendors. Yeah. A lot of uh, stuff regarding witchcraft in particular, you know. So I, there's maybe going to be one or two ministries there. I, I'm pretty confident there would probably be one or two Christian ministries there. They usually are. But um, the majority of it is all going to be darker stuff, pretty dark stuff. Uh, other than, of course, the T-shirts, which and artistic renderings, which, of course, also is dark. Right, yeah. But uh, it's definitely – and it, that's the thing, too. If A lot of Christians don't, don't like horror movies and whatnot because it does portray a demonic type or devil right. type thing. It It is a very – geared towards horror and right. and there is paranormal in there as well so if you don't agree with either then yes that's probably not the, the place mm-hmm. for you. and just mind you guys there will be aura reading there there will be uh palm reading there will be mediums there to uh you know and psychic readings and so on and so forth so obviously uh occult style stuff so definitely for those of you who are weary about it I'm not asking you to join us Please stay at home. Uh, but for those of you who, you know, don't always like to listen and like to play on the uh, edge of things, it is there. We will be there. And yeah, we're going, we do plan on doing the radio show. We plan on doing a live radio show. So if you know us, you've heard our radio show and you find us, we'd love to have you on the show. I think we're planning on doing that, what, Friday night or Saturday night, Justin? I think we should do it Friday so that way that, you know, everybody that cannot be there gets the entire gist of it just because Friday is kind of a opening extravaganza of of pretty much everything. And then, you know, they always have a awesome VIP ball and costume ball and all that stuff as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and so we'll definitely be taking pictures while we're there and sending those, uh, or posting those up on uh, Facebook. Right. So people can check that stuff out and, you know, just, just check in with us, see how everything's going. Also, <clears throat> I think, Dustin, you and I have discussed whether or not to talk a little bit more about our next new endeavor. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I agree that uh, we should yeah. give them a little more information on that. Okay, so we have a new endeavor coming up. It's a new show that's going to 
not replacing the current show. We're still doing the current show, but we do have a new show that we're going to be doing uh, approximately once a month. Yeah, it's called Paratruth: The S Files. Right, that we're going with. Yeah, and what does the S Files stand for? Ooh, the S Files basically stands for Night Stalker Files. Reason being, many moons ago, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> known as Earth of five years ago, we had a show known as the Night Stalkers. And it was absolutely nothing like this show. In other fact, than it was be, paranormal. Other than the fact it's paranormal. And to be completely honest, it was before either of us were saved. Is before we decided to look to Christianity. And in particular, I don't know why I say Christianity. It's just before we looked to Christ, right. folks, to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of this universe, of the people within it, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Anyway. <laughs> so well, one thing I do have to warn you guys, if after doing the, the S-Files, you guys are curious about going back to listen to Night Stalkers. It was a time where we were very immature. We were very, uh, as Eric said, we weren't saved yet. And we tended to get a little vulgar. Uh, so just a fair forewarning, it was not the best language. Also, sound quality wasn't particularly the best either. But quite apparently, it all was crappy. Um <laughs> So please, if if you do decide, those of you, I know most of you, some of you anyway, who listen won't bother checking in on it. But for those of you who decide to, forgive us ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, we are very, very sorry for what you may witness on those episodes. Yeah. Please do not judge us. Uh, we've already been cleansed by the blood of Christ and forgiven of our sins and our iniquities. So I hope and pray that you guys will do the same. Uh, forgive us. But with that said, there are a number of things that we discussed back then regarding the paranormal, such as werewolves and aliens and ghosts and witchcraft and voodoo, which is also witchcraft, right. um, so on and so forth. But we had a completely different perspective on things back then than what we do today. And so Paratruth S-Files is basically going to take a couple of episodes. We're going, you know, we're discerning what to air on, uh, on the S files episodes and what not to air, but we're going to choose certain things and we're going to place them on air. You're going to be able to listen to them, the original stuff, what we thought, what our views were, and we're going to compare them to what we believe today and then discern what is the truth. So yeah, that's pretty much all of it in a very large nutshell. I, I'm definitely looking forward to it because, as you guys have known as you listen to the show, Eric's views have changed drastically. Mine have changed, not all of them, but a lot of them have changed since since that mm-hmm. that program. And uh, I think you guys will be very interested to to hear the the differences between the two. Not only just our views, but as I'm listening, our voices have changed drastically. You can definitely tell we've matured over the years. So <laughs> definitely, definitely a, an interesting uh, program to start doing. 
Yeah, so I hope you guys look forward to that. It'll be fun. Uh, we're probably not, probably not going to start that for another month or two. We don't want to start that until we get our new logo up for this episode, uh, this show, uh, as well as a number of other small things that we want to take care of before getting everything up and running. But uh, we are in the pre-production for all of it. We just want to give everyone the heads up. So, yeah. There you go. That's what I call a psychic reading. That's looking into the future. <laughs> Boom. There you go. <laughs> no, that's psychic. That's bad, guys. It, yeah. Don't. And, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it's not psychic. <laughs> no, it's just us telling you what, what we plan on doing. God willing, because plans change. So, True. Anyway, we're just rambling on now because we're just having fun <laughs> talking about anything and everything. Like, for example, there's a bug, and I'm like looking at it like a cat looks at a bug, <laughs> trying to follow it around right now while talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Before Eric loses his mind, <laughs> uh, that is all we got for you today. Uh, next week we will have on Richard Southall, and he has a book about haunted plantations. So Ooh. definitely look forward to that show, as well as pretty much every show about Par- with Paratruth Radio. On that note, my name is Justin, and I'm Eric. And we will talk to you guys next week, same time, same channel. Peace! If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio, and you would like to listen to it again, or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can listen to them on HD at our website, paratruthradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for brand new updates of our show every day. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.